This podcast is produced by Unedited. I've missed loads of family stuff, working or having to do this or do that or be there for work or do some reporting. And actually, it's not conducive, I don't think, to really settling down. And also, I don't know if I want to settle down. I want to meet someone and have an adventure. I don't Mm. want to meet someone and settle down. I want to meet someone who wants to go and change the world. I'm Monika Allen. Welcome to episode four of the Black Magic Podcast. In each episode, I bring together two guests and talk to them about the challenges that they've overcome. And later on in the show, we're going to be hearing from an entrepreneur and star of The Apprentice, Bianca Miller-Cole. But right now, sitting in front of me are two amazing, beautiful, talented, entrepreneurial ladies. Vanessa Sanyoke, founder of Girls Talk London, and Janelle Aldred, who's a TV presenter and journalist. Let's talk about what you two are both doing now. So Girls Talk, you know, has been doing some fantastic work. With, I said, so you started off with girls, but you've gone older. So tell me mm-hmm. kind of what was with the, what's with the change? So, yeah, we started off doing like panel Q&As with school girls, so like teenagers. Mm. And then we just started having lots of older women come along and just say, look, I know I'm not 15, um, <laughs> but I really like the speakers. Can I come along? And then we actually started seeing, actually, hold on a minute. Um, a lot of like millennials and even like women in their thirties and forties would just come into our events. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of um, moved it so that we do like mentoring programs for students, yeah. And then the like professional women come to our events. So we kind of have two separate services. So like we look to have like we've got different festivals now and some are business school. So we're kind of more focused on like workplace skills. So yeah, yeah. fantastic. And so as a kind of presenter and journalist, what kind of things can people? Where would have people seen you or read your work? So if you're in the Midlands, you will have probably most likely seen me. I was on BBC Midlands Today. I was on ITV Central. I was a newsreader and a weather presenter and reporter there. And more recently, I've been freelancing at Channel 5 News. Mm. So you can probably see me there. I blog on the Huffington Post. Although I haven't written a blog in a really long time. And, <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I, I guess I've written a short book. Um, so yes, that's where you can see me or, or hear me if you have seen me or heard me. <laughs> So Janelle, how's life as a freelancer? So life as a freelancer, or as my dad calls it, unemployed, um, <laughs> is interesting. So I freelanced before for about two and a half years, but ended up working at the same company every single day for five days, which defeats the objects of freelancing. <laughs> but at um, ITN Productions, where I work, there's loads to do. So I worked on documentaries, I presented stuff, I was a reporter. Um, in this new guise, I guess I'm really looking... Actually, I'm taking a bit of time out to see what I want to do, because actually... You amass all these skills. I spent 10 years being a journalist, being a reporter, doing online journalism, Mm. spent a bit of time doing digital strategy um, for an NGO. And then actually I kind of go, okay, what's the big plan? So I'm Mm. at that age now where I'm thinking the next thing I do, I really want it to be, although people might say I've already done that career direction setting. And so I'm taking some time out to see what I want to do. I've had a few offers, still doing a bit of news reading, doing some media training, but it's thinking what is that thing that I think is actually my purpose and what's going to kind of propel me into that space. So that's Mm -hmm. what I'm looking for. I know freelancing can be tough. I -hmm. I started out as a journalist and freelancing, doing a lot of entertainment and culture and lifestyle um, for various newspapers and magazines. And then when you're waiting for those invoices to come in, Yes. and you're oh trying to waiting on one right now <laughs> <laughs> you're like I need to keep the lights on London's ex- London life's expensive yeah. <laughs> I think it is it's a tricky balancing act and I think um this is where you know one thing that I've definitely spoken to some of my even my previous managers about when I was in jobs is how do you actually create a system that's actually good for people from all classes and all backgrounds mm. because actually there are some people who are absolutely excluded from freelancing and being yeah. a journalist just because of that exact same thing so if you've got really supportive parents or a partner it's an amazing career path but I think we really need to think about how we can help our young people more actually enter that space and thinking what can we do for people in those lean times in between voices I'd love to answer that question one day definitely I mean I remember um when I was um kind of eight and that was when I first knew I wanted to be kind of like a journalist and but I, back then it was a kind of TV presenter I thought I was going to be this reporter and going to Iraq and you know doing some war reporting and you were edgy yeah I until, like until, warm. Yeah. I like well, once I realized really cool. once I realized I could die I kind of changed <laughs> changed that thought and um and you know later on went into kind of entertainment and things but you know I had to 
growing up, I never had anybody around me that was doing anything remotely creative or mm. media. And I, I'm from Birmingham as well. So um, there was nobody doing any of that. So I had to, you know, even though I couldn't see it, I had to believe I could be it. And despite um, despite that kind of a moving to London in this big city and being by myself, um, it was kind of trying to navigate this world, world that, you know, People used to say, "Oh God, you're you're an anomaly in this industry, Nika. You're black. You're from Birmingham, and you're a woman, and you're well spoken. What yeah. a surprise! Black people can speak well. Um, I think this is where organisations like Vanessa's come in so handy mm. for young women these days. I know you did a media thing of the day. Mm. Well, that's where I spoke. Yeah, and you created a real space for that." Yeah, I think it's just kind of letting them, because I wanted them to meet people like, you know, Janelle and Anika, you've spoken mm. at a St. Paul's Cathedral event that yeah. we've done. And it's about seeing, you know, accessible role models, because if you don't see it, it's going to be hard for you to believe it. Mm. So I really want them to kind of get them up close to people who are doing dream jobs and actually finding out the truth and how to navigate, you know, their careers, because otherwise you just don't have a, a clue. Yeah. Why was doing that so important to you? Why did you start Girls Talk I never had that. Mm. I think if I had, I always say, if I had Girls Talk London, I wouldn't be doing what I wouldn't be doing Girls Talk London. Mm. I'd be doing something else because I would have known it's possible. Because my role models were like people like American women. My parents would say, well, you don't see a black woman on, you know, on TV. Mm. You don't see a black woman leading a business. You, you can't do that. Why don't you be a doctor? Why don't you, you know, be a lawyer? So I just didn't want young girls to you know not chase their dreams like I did um, and so that's, that's why I'm just really passionate about it because I've just been I've seen the other side yeah. yeah I think that's one of the beauty of um, kind of I guess my mum what I thank her for is that even though she was she had this daughter that wanted to kind of have this high fly media career she never put any kind of limitations on me to say that I couldn't do it and I think that's what a lot of parents parents do mm. to their kids they kind of well yeah mm. we were having this conversation earlier um, well my parents both came over from Jamaica when they were children mm. and as parents parents who from the diaspora they just want you to get a job and keep it exactly. <laughs> you should just be grateful, grateful because that's their mindset and it's not even that it's wrong because mm. that's how it was when they came here but the world has moved on a bit now and I think yeah. we can afford to make a few more choices but I see where that's coming from so still now my dad's like just get back on the telly like you know just <laughs> what, what's, you know, what's wrong with you and I totally hear that and, and for them it was about security it was mm. about owning homes it was about getting enough together to to do those things because yeah. there was none of that going on I mean in a funny way we're facing similar problems because who can afford to buy a house in London yeah. but um, I think that mentality has changed and we need to ensure that our young people are now equipped with that new mentality mm. because the thing about why some in some other and it's not all bad in our race, you know, it isn't, it isn't all bad. And I think we, we can generalise like all, and it's, it's not all, it's some. But in some of the races, the way it works is they really push their kids, like they send them to private school so they can have that edge. Yeah. Whereas sometimes you'll hear people, oh, we don't want people to get spoiled or we don't want them to get above themselves. And that's sometimes what, that is that very limiting thing that actually we put on ourselves. So Definitely. it would be great if we just took those shackles off where they are and just really allow people yeah. just to flourish. When that time comes, I know I want to send my child to private school in the future Same when here. I do have a child. That's yeah. like, that's one of the things. That's one, that's, of, my goals. That's yeah. one of my goals to kind of, and, I, and the thing is, I think we often think these things are unobtainable, but yeah. actually it's not as difficult as people may think. And, you exactly. know, a lot of these schools, you know, you can pay on off in installments exactly. and things. It's not, yeah. you know. People think unconscious bias is just about white and black people. You can have so many class. unconscious biases yeah. about so many things. And sometimes we have those biases mm -hmm. about that kind of life, yeah. those kinds of people, people. in inverted commas. Mm. <laughs> and actually, you know, we could be those kinds of people in that sense. But I think it's about opportunity. No, no, no it is definitely about opportunity. I mean, even you as an entrepreneur, Vanessa, it's like, mm. I mean, when you first kind of said, I'm going to go into business for myself, yeah. you know, what did your friends and family think of that? It was so funny. My dad was like, what is this? Like, I remember like registering like our name and like mm. I, I registered it to my um, my, my parents' house and um, and he would just get his letters like, what's this girl's talk? London Limited. What are you doing? Like, what is this? He just was just like, this is ridiculous. This is a joke. Um, so my, my dad wasn't really supportive. My mum was just like, oh, OK, maybe she's going to go through a phase. Mm. So let's just support her. And then when they found out I was serious, they were like, mm, I kind of just a bit sceptical because again, like, 
you know, Janelle was saying, I come from an immigrant family from Zimbabwe. You get a job, you work for either the NHS or you become, you know, mm. a lawyer and that's it. You don't start your own business, especially yeah. with women. And it's very like kind of got a social purpose. They just don't care about the purpose. It's like, you know, so that there wasn't that much support to begin with, to be honest. So I kind of had to prove them wrong. Yeah. And have you proved them wrong? Kind of, yeah. Like when they kind of see like, you know, if they read about it in the newspaper and stuff like that, then they're like, okay, yeah, now we kind of get it. Yeah. So I'm still kind of working on it. So kind of, But I think they're very on side now. Mm. They're very supportive. Yeah. Is there a glass ceiling? What do you guys think? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I felt my head butt up against it before. So I, <laughs> exactly. So I'm, I'm trying to break of, it. No, it's there. I think mm. um, Shonda Rhimes um, wrote in her book, Year of Yes, which is a book that I just absolutely adored reading and she was basically talking about how the first person who hits the head up against the glass ceiling doesn't often get through it mm. like mm. and also if you're breaking glass ceilings that means that you've got broken glass on you and you're probably covered in a bit of blood because actually it is wow. tough and I think we need to take away some of the romantic notion about what breaking glass ceiling means because yeah. we kind of mm. think like of it like a thin pane oh, of glass true. which I'm just going to like shoot through like an arrow well actually we're talking about things that have been certain ways for years and years and years. Yeah. It's not a thin bit of glass, it's a thick bit of glass. <laughs> and it is about people butting up their heads. It's painful. It's isolating sometimes. Yep. It's lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. But I think for those people that are pioneers, they get a special grace to kind of do that and they mm. can kind of do it. And it's not for everyone. Everyone is not meant to be a pioneer. You know, someone has to come behind. But for those people, you know, I think it's how can we as a community support them better? Like when you see like a girls talk or when you see like a colour network or different things coming mm. through rather than being like, who do they think they are? Exactly. Why don't we actually <laughs> get, all get our them. collective weight behind mm-hmm. these things yeah. and yeah. really try and push them so that we can all be part of like mm-hmm. breaking through those barriers? That's the thing. I think sometimes for me when I'm doing Girls Talk London, it does feel very isolating, but nobody gives a damn about, you know, what you're doing really. And so you just feel like you're kind of trying to fight for a cause that nobody cares about. And that can get tiring and that can get you know you can, you, you can, you can really wear you down yeah. um, so I definitely agree I think people need to kind of get behind um, you know people like you know like what we do because otherwise it's not going to change because mm-hmm. you can't as, a, as one person like you're saying like just kind of change a whole industry um, it just really takes like a mass of people to kind of do that so yeah what's annoying me at the moment is this talk of um people being bored of diversity I've heard that yeah. a few times lately it looks like yeah you're, you're bored because it doesn't affect you and it's so hard because mm. when you are one person and it does get to feel like banging a drum hi guys <laughs> yes hello yeah no still here still black still female like okay none of these things are quite going away and and I think sometimes I have to be honest sometimes I get tired of talking about it mm. I because you know as a person of colour sometimes you're the only person of colour or you're the only senior person of colour and you end up being the de facto spokesperson Mm -hmm. for diversity and racism's never going away like sorry that's just my personal opinion yeah. like it's, it's, it's an institution yeah. that's been going for hundreds of years thousands if we of think, years if we think <laughs> yeah. we're gonna just erase it because we started talking about unconscious mm-hmm. bias and calling things out well but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't. Yeah. But then I, I do see what he's saying, though. I'm a little bit bored of the diversity because I've been in this diversity sector for like ten over a decade now. Mm. And I do think people are jumping on the bandwagon because, mm. oh, OK, diversity and inclusion. Let's have a diversity conference. Like every company is like, let's have a diversity, you know. No conclusion. Yeah. And they're just doing it for the sake of. So I can get why some people are just like, this is boring because it's not changing anything. Mm. There's so many companies, there's so many diversity conferences that I go to. And I'm just like, we're still talking about the same thing thing it's boring let's just make the changes i'm mm. kind of bored about the conversations yeah. and we need like more action people to actually yeah. give a damn and just do no, something I, I agree i think that definitely more action is needed mm. and one thing about the color network is one of the reasons why we started was because we're fed up of kind of just talking talking about something mm-hmm. and complain it's like actually let's not bother waiting for a seat at the table let's just create our own table yeah. and if people want to come and join us then you know you can but otherwise we're not we're not we're not asking for permission we're just creating our own I do think it's hard because if you go to these companies and you know I guess the only space where I kind of not disagree but think is they're well-meaning like some of these people are actually well-meaning because I I do genuinely think that some of them whether it's for some of them it's just for commercial reasons but some of Mm. them genuinely feel like oh we need to do something but for most people what 
they don't they, they don't know what to do mm. and it's really hard because we need to start having these conversations and we do have them in a different way because what happens is a lot of the time it ends up with all the black and brown people in a room talking about diversity well what is that going to do that's mm-hmm. just an echo chamber yeah. um, and actually the defence the defensiveness of people when actually confronted with things like well actually this company's institutionally racist or actually mm-hmm. you guys are actually quite prejudiced that's a lot for them to deal with and I'm not casting them as victims at all Mm. but I'm saying that sometimes we're so far ahead in the conversation these people are way back where Mm. (laughs) can't Mm. even see us we can't see them and actually I would love us to for there to be a way to have these conversations better Mm -hmm. like you say having a seat at your table makes you not a victim Mm. making you not a victim makes you not needy of someone else's approval why do we need people's approval for us to feel that we've arrived that we're doing stuff actually why can't we feel like we've made our own table it's not about coming to sit at your table it's about us co-creating something together or co-collaborating because we've Mm. got our own clout and we've got our own stuff and we're not coming to you for something we're coming with something and the only thing that most people understand is money and power definitely so once we have our own money and power we're not we're not going to feel and i think at the moment it feels so hurtful because we need it Mm. it's almost like we need the acceptance we need them to accept us so that we can do this so we can do that so i'm a big fan of like making tables Mm. and i also think there's a difference though between institutional racism Mm. and diversity and I think it needs to be very clear that institutional racism is you know it's it's, it's illegal yeah you cannot you know um Make racial slurs like with the um, FA and any other yeah. uh, Luco. That yeah. is illegal. And you so, cannot do that. I'm so glad it, yeah. they had to. Yeah. They apologise yeah, and it's, it's come out and yeah. that actually. You have to define that like certain um, sectors, like the NHS, mm. is institutionally racist. When you look at the demographics, that 30% are black employees, 1% are in management. Yeah, that screams that actually something is blocking their yeah. progression. Yeah. And you look at the Met as well as another example, the whole Stephen Lawrence thing. So we have to know the difference and and make sure that we're actually being tougher on the institutional racism because that's what really mm. is kind of blocking a lot of people rather than, okay, lack of diversity, like you're saying, th- that, that can be kind of maybe changed. the real deep problem is you c- it's not in a handbook what's the blockage. Do you know what mm. I mean? Like we, we know it's institutional, but it's not in the handbook because there's mm. no they're following the rules. Like if you're talking mm. about the rules of hiring someone mm. and it's... How do how do we actually? But, but it's like oh, you're not suitable for the job. Like yeah, exactly. so it's just crap. That's, so that's have you so, so so have you, any of you experienced either institutional racism or just like you know whether it's come in the workplace or I think just you'd per- be hard pressed to find a black person who hasn't <laughs> experienced it in you? some way. I think you know once someone asked me at a panel what do you do if you experience racism at work and I said you know what firstly it's really hard to prove someone's racist mm. it's hard to mm. prove that racism is the problem what you can call people out and what I have consistently called people out when I felt it is unfair behaviour mm. because actually unless you use the n-word or unless you do something overt actually most people you can and, all, the, and all that does is it brings more divisiveness because you can't prove it mm. they have more to get away with and then actually what just then happens is even your colleagues who like you but oh don't really know why you said that because they can't see it there's all these invisible Mm. things which is what makes it so hard which is why you know yes we have laws and yes we have stuff but what can you do with that so whenever I've experienced unfair behaviour I always call it out Mm. and I will call it out and say I don't know if it's because I'm black or it's because I'm a woman I don't quite know why you're doing this but this is happening and it's unfair is there anything in particular that comes to mind that happened the thing is like you say it's 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 the subtleties though it's It's not like oh you m word or Mm. no but it's the subtle things like um you know undermining or questioning you know Mm. or like you know kind of uh, micromanaging like for example we do a lot of consultancy and it's like we're the experts but you've got your client trying to just make sure you're doing what you're doing and I know if I was a white yeah help you (laughs) you brought us in to help you but it's because obviously and I know if it was a white old white man they would just let him get on with it you've got this black woman and she's leading her her business there's no one else you can kind of go past Mm. so they might come so it was all those subtle things you know mm, okay yeah it's the mm. undermining. It's the... I was somewhere the other day and I was saying, oh, you know, when I was growing up, we weren't allowed to talk slang in our house because mm. my dad's a minister and he was just really strict and so there was no watching music television, there was no talking slang, there was definitely no swearing. And someone said to me, oh, I'm really surprised by that, that you weren't, that you didn't speak slang when you grew up. Mm. Side yeah. eye. Yeah. Not all black people <laughs> speak slang. Speak slang. Yeah. How yeah. about that? You know, yeah. and I think it is just... 
it's just the lack of if you live in a very white or black world you will not know anything about mm-hmm. the other world yeah. and so there's a lot of people who live in very white worlds mm. and so when it comes to dealing with black people if you're not fitting a stereotype they've seen on the telly well you're just an unknown quantity yeah. and then they find it very hard to deal with you and that's what I so when you come in at that consultant level it's like they can't quite because everything in their mind saying, mm. well, black people don't really know much mm. <laughs> because I've seen the news and, yeah. I've, and, I've, and I've seen EastEnders and then here comes you, <laughs> exactly. a professional, this and that. And it's just and they just can't quite seem to get it to marry. So mm-hmm. I know talking is like a, it seems like a weak way, but um, I, I do feel we need to find a way to, to kind of raise those kinds of subtleties mm-hmm. and those things. Because when you point it out to people, they go, Oh yeah, because I do now. I'm like, you know, mm. as a middle class black person, you, I'm, I'm never going to be invited on any scheme because mm. I don't qualify. Because my parents are married and they both worked, I've never qualified yeah, for any I've scheme. Never, never well. been able to get a helping hand into that. And you know, thankfully, my parents have always been able to support me and help me. But it's a, you still face all the same barriers. Yeah. Mm. But because you're different, people just don't know how to handle you. Exactly. Have you ever um, come, come across being confronted as being the angry black woman? Yeah, I have at work. Yeah, and it's just like, I just now I think I try, I have to kind of, I've had to kind of regulate myself a little bit because I think I did come across as an angry black woman at my old last uh, workplace. Not angry, but oh God, you know, Vanessa will kick off. Um, And then what I did was when I went to start my own business, I took it too far as in very timid. Mm. And I actually had one of our advisory board members say, Vanessa, you need to be more assertive. Mm. So I actually, it's it's so hard being a black woman because you just can't, you can't can't win. You know, either you're you're too timid and then you're, you're assertive but you're too you know because because she is a white woman her assertive if I do that I'm aggressive mm. so it's, a, it's very very difficult very very difficult people will find you intimidating before, you've, before you even open, open your, your mouth, mouth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know it's the way you walk well you know yeah. what, what can I do and, or I hate this one you don't smile why don't you smile uh-huh. I've just woken up like it's 8am I'm at my desk like what leave must me I, alone just give me two hours you know, and they're like oh are you alright you know you're not like, I just it's just it's too much yeah. sometimes it's, it's actually too much because you're you're judged before you even exactly. open your mouth mm-hmm. so well, I guess that's, I guess that's all people are judged but I guess as black women it's judged yeah, even yeah like I just said it's just an extra layer of complexity yeah. every, every mm. difference you have with the masses so to speak is an added layer of complexity mm-hmm. so one being a woman is already a layer of complexity even for white women exactly. and then add black on top of that Ooh. and there was this amazing talk that I heard on TED Talks by this lady and her name escapes me but it was on intersectionality Mm. and she talks about where two diverse things basically collide and Mm. how actually for black women it's so much harder than it is for black men Mm. because they're still men yeah so you'll still be listened to Mm. no one's going to talk over you in a meeting but as a black woman you're literally in that space and I hate to say bottom of the pile, yeah. but in terms of getting that respect sometimes, if you're a woman of colour, mm. it's going to be harder for you. And and that talk really actually even opened up my own eyes mm-hmm. as to some of the things I experienced, because I don't think black men truly understand how different it is for black they women. Don't. No, they, don't, they don't, they don't. They don't appreciate it. Because the thing is, I think black women, we carry the burden. So we are the ones championing black men since slavery. We've been yeah. the ones holding it down in the house um, and we've been carrying a whole race for you know centuries and I think now what's happening with the whole kind of which I love the Black Magic Awards it's fantastic and the hashtag really talking about black women's experiences it's like do you know what we're fed up of it now like yeah. you need to kind of you know support us it's like now is the time so that's why I kind of like all this kind of this black sisterhood we're all coming together and actually saying you know enough is enough we're not carrying a whole race um, you need to understand what we're going through if hashtag me too was about black women mm. and everyday yeah. well a black women started, started it, it. Exactly. a black woman started, started it, it. And they tried to erase that oh, well, they're, 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 they've taken it yeah. oh me too but it, it, hello it was a sister that you know started the hashtag but you know mm. it's, they've, they've gone with it but then I think they've got this other one about um I don't know what it's called about black women sexual like sexual experiences or black women and sexuality mm. and how you know like sometimes with our upbringing we weren't necessarily taught about sex and then our bodies are sexualized so with white men they look at black women as oh you know look at our you know our figure and yeah. our breasts rather than desirable as in oh beautiful but it's mm, sexual yeah. and we're seen as strong and we're seen we'll as sexualized okay. and we're seen as yeah you'll you'll be all right mm. so one yeah. time you know this woman she was coming to me like really strong what like talking to me is at work and I was like, why are you being so... She's like, oh, well, you know, I thought you were strong and you can take it. Mm. And I think there is this perception around black 
women. Yeah. Oh, we can take it. And I think we get that from black men. Mm -hmm. We get that from white people. Mm -hmm. And like you said, so it's really great to see women coming together, going, actually, you know what? I can't always take it. Yeah. Actually, sometimes I cry. Sometimes it makes me feel upset. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it makes me feel less than, Mm -hmm. even though I know I'm not. But situations can still make you feel like... Mm -hmm you know mm. I'm, I'm not enough and I think um, you know black women you know they're, they're experiencing a high rate of mental health problems yep. at the moment because because of the issues that you know obviously I think we hold a lot in as people yep. and so you go to work you can't be yourself so you're having to kind of like kind of I guess hide part of who you are because you don't want to come across as aggressive or you don't want to kind of come, come across as, as anything as anything beige other, <laughs> yeah kind of so, beige, exactly beige, so, you, so you're keeping exactly. you're keeping a part of who you are kind of yeah. like hidden just from from the world when you're in work you know either nine to five or you know five days a week or depending on how you work and you can't even come home and be nice to your black husband so he doesn't feel like you're domineering him (laughs) does you know what I mean it's like you can't you're just having to constantly just you know massage people and just you know like be the kind of care and sensitive to everybody and it's like exactly and then I think that's why you're saying about mental health you just break down Mm. it's so stressful being strong is a blessing and a curse because I Mm. think black women we are strong Mm. you know we because we take so much I guess it's just when that strength is mis seen or misconstrued as like the strength of like an ox or something Mm. you know (laughs) still human still fragile still you know still feminine in that sense of liking wanting to be pampered wanting to be accepted yeah. wanting to be liked to have those conversations I want to go to work and just be able to get on with my job I don't want to have to think about how I'm coming across so picking every single word really carefully mm. so that no one can misconstrue anything I say as aggressive or intimidating or too black or and it's exactly. like you're too much mm. and not enough all at the same time and caring about other people's feelings but who's caring about yours mm. and you have to and you're the victim sometimes mm. and you as a victim have to worry about the person doing the victimising <laughs> because then they're feeling bad because now you're upset and it's almost mm. kind of like so now I have to feel bad for you and for me you know how much burden can we really carry exactly the area of work that you're in at the moment Vanessa kind of what advice would you give somebody that wanted to kind of do what you're doing oh gosh I don't know I would say um, just the kind of practical stuff so I know everyone always says I believe in yourself and all this stuff but just to get the kind of basics right like really if you want to start your own business and making sure you've got some kind of plan. I'm not a fan of the typical business plan, but just mm. have, even if it's just a plan about what you want to do and understand like how you're going to gain income and make sure you've got multiple streams of income, make sure you've got six months of living expenses and include things like your hair, nails, like food, like all of those things. So, <laughs> so, you, so you don't get depressed and exactly. sad. Exactly. Like your nails are mashed exactly, up. Exactly. You weave, you weave is like, <laughs> like old. Exactly. Like make sure you have all of that um, budgeted and um, be frugal. Mm. Um, you know, in your first, I say the first three years of your business, you're going to be the last paid you're not going to be earning, making mm. loads of money so that's the growth period so just make sure you're frugal um, and I would say just come off Instagram and Facebook for a while because when you're starting a business kind of don't be led what others are doing and I think that's kind of like the, just what I would say the, get the basics right mm. yeah. would you say money was your biggest challenge kind of starting your own yeah, business yeah it was because we didn't necessarily couldn't qualify for grant funding so I really had to all of our funding comes from businesses so you okay. really have to push hard um, and it's challenging it's not as easy as you know it may kind of seem it's always a struggle every year when you're doing programs to get budget renewal because like you've got Brexit now which is affecting a lot of our partners mm. so it's really 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 tough so you just have to really kind of make sure that you can really have like a good USP and make and you have to constantly innovate so yeah. constantly trying to do things different um, so I, that's what I would say yeah it's a big challenge yeah you have to know how to sell yes like, yeah, yeah you have to know how to sell yourself yeah it's one of the things <laughs> I always hated in business I was like it's not it's not it's not my forte somebody else needs to do the sales let me be the creative I know. and the brains behind it somebody else sell please but if you don't sell you don't get paid basically so you have to like I hate selling but I have to do it because, yeah yeah Especially when you know when you're starting a business, you're everything. You're the accountant, you're exactly. the cleaner, you know, you're everything. the IT person, yeah, you're everything. Your account, everything. So definitely, yeah. So Janelle, if people out there want to be kind of a TV presenter or journalist, what tips can you give them, kind of to kind of get ahead in that industry? 
Um, I would say number one, get a decent email address. Um, <laughs> no, you, no fluffy, no, no fluffy, fluffy baby. Nineteen twenty-two, or I mean, that's way too old. Um, so I get a decent email address. And number two, I think um, a lot of people contact journalists. Mm. Not journalists, but I think one of the one of the things I would definitely consider before contacting anybody is do a bit of research first. Because mm-hmm. being a journalist or a TV presenter, a lot of it is about researching. Yep. So when someone comes to me with just a, there's nothing out there, I'm like, you haven't even looked. And actually, not that I don't want to help people, but my will to help you is diminished because you have to have that drive for yourself. Mm. So there's loads of internships around. ITV, Channel 4, BBC, all the big players do internships. Apply for internships. They're really great. I did my master's degree. I would highly recommend getting a really solid education because internships are amazing, Mm. but they're bottom up. And actually, if you've got a bit of that knowledge behind you, it gives you more of a safety net. You can go wherever you want when you've got your own piece of paper. Um, So that's one thing I would definitely recommend if you can afford it because I know it's expensive. (laughs) One of the things when um, I was a journalist and when I had my own um, magazine and even with the Colour Network now, one thing that really gets me upset is when people email me for whether it's for work experience or just to kind of get involved and they spell my name wrong. <laughs> so you want to be a journalist or you want to work with me, but you can't even, even though my name's in the email, yeah, exactly. but you can't get it right. But there are some people who don't even know what you do when they email mm. you. And it's just little things like that because when you've shown that you've done the homework, people are far more motivated to actually go the extra mile to help you. Mm. But I think a lot of it is journalism is self-starting work mm-hmm. and so if you can't even do that first self-starting bit maybe it isn't for you but if you are willing to do the self-starting bit then there are loads of people I know willing to help but yeah internships and also just set reasonable expectations it's highly unlikely you're going to be presenting on telly within six months of starting at the BBC <laughs> it's a big organisation but they could start their own but vlog start or, your own yeah. vlog There's, you don't need to be you don't need to look at these big organisations now there's a whole new world but if that is what you want to do be prepared to work hard for a long time before you get to do what you want to do. I mean, was it easy for you just, like, how did you get your start? That's going to sound really contradictory. So I, well, I did my master's degree, went to the BBC on work experience. They offered me to apply for a job whilst I was there. I got that job and within a year I was presenting. But I have to say, it was just a job came up. And actually, I never told my editor that I wanted to present. Mm. I just was doing my job, online journalism, putting the news online, digital evangelist in the newsroom and an opportunity came up for a weather presenter and I was on a short-term contract and one of the editors said you should go for this job because it's a staff job it's a really good opportunity for you and it will get you started and so I did and you know I had an amazing tutor from uni who really believed in me Mm. and from the day I went to uni just to go and look around and do my audition she's like you're going to be on TV I know you are and actually she maintained that steadfast belief in me but also I think she knew that I was willing to work hard so she was willing to back me so she backed me because she knew that spoke it into existence it's like she said it it happened literally but I think also I had that belief in me like yeah this is going to happen I didn't didn't, and I never wavered in that doubt so even though but then as I said, when I went to the newsroom, I didn't go into my newsroom going, I want to be a presenter. I went into the newsroom doing my job really well, making sure that I was diligent, making sure that I was as on time as I could be. I do struggle a bit with time. Um, but yeah, so, but that's, and I think it is about being, doing the right thing at the right time. Lucky breaks don't just happen. They happen when people are doing the right thing at the right time and they're in the right place. I think that's one thing that people need to remember is about putting the work in for whatever it is. So whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you want to be a presenter, it's, um, you know, a lot of people talk about the 10,000 hours kind of thing and stuff. And, you know, so put that work in for if you want to, if you want to do something, don't think things are just going to fall on you, fall on your lap. And it's because people want diverse presenters. I mean, they're just going to pluck you out of obscurity. There are like, there are so many other people in that space already working really Mm -hmm. hard what is it that makes it you? This Instagram, Insta fame, Facebook live fame, 10 people likes it. You know, it, mm. it's, that's not preparing you sometimes for the amount of hours. And even if you're mm-hmm. going to be an entrepreneur, it's not about picking your own hours. You work you work more Honestly, longer hours. You, you work, work longer the worst. hours. I really um, get a, have, have a, a, get a job. Like, seriously, if <laughs> no, you want... Do you know what? Another thing is, if you want to be on that yacht, mm. you, 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 you yeah. will get on that yacht via a job. Because mm. being an entrepreneur, it's like like I say, it's, it's a twenty four seven job, and it's not a guarantee of it's income. Not guarantee it's not a guarantee. Income, you so, could you could yeah. hit, hit it big, or you could. You know. I know. I don't put it right off. I mean, yeah, being on. Okay, when I say that, but yeah, the good thing about being an entrepreneur is yeah, you can kind of you can choose where 
you spend the 24-7 yeah. time. That's, the, that's one of the great things. So you can be abroad and still have, you know, do your business. That's a good thing. But it's not what, like you're saying, the Instagram, social media say the life of an entrepreneur is like. It's so kind of fake. It's not the reality. But we need to be yeah. honest. Yeah. We need to be honest with young people. And exactly. And not just kind of show the great the side great of it, side, but yeah. just kind of say this is how, what it actually takes. Exactly. So you've both chosen kind of careers that, you know, take up quite a lot of time and are quite demanding. So how do you find kind of dealing with securing a relationship? Are you, are you in a relationship, guys? <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> I'm single. Yeah, single now, yeah. And do you yeah. think it's because of, you know, does your work affect that? Yes, yes. I think on twofold. So like with my last relationship, um, my boyfriend at the time um, had kind of, I guess, told like some, well, his mum that, you know, Vanessa's always on her laptop and she's always on her laptop and she never, like when I come back from home, she's always on her laptop. And I said to his mum, how do you think like I pay my bills? Like I'm on my laptop working because I work for myself. So like, you know, because... What the I think the challenge was is like okay so I can work from home so you know my partner would go to work mm. and I'd be working come back and I'm working and then they're like where's the time for me but it's like you know, when you're building you have to kind of work quite a long hours so I think you need a partner that either is a full time for me either a full time entrepreneur or mm. really works long hours and gets it yeah as well I think it's really important because they don't necessarily understand how much graft it is and you can't always you know if your partner's going to come home be cooking dinner and being a domestic goddess and I think it's like a sacrifice it's sort of like I think I have to it's really sad to say but I think sometimes you do have to choose as a woman in business Mm. it's either like you have a really like supportive you have to have a supportive partner Mm. I think Sheryl Sandberg said you know the the biggest career choice you'll ever make is who you marry (laughs) and that is that is the best advice to tell girls like the biggest career decision you'll ever make is who you're going to marry and I think for me as an entrepreneur the person I am going to marry has to be has to really understand um, what I do and be supportive like 100% not just when it suits them so that's what I would say because hard enough as it is without having to kind of come home and then being I guess getting into arguments or not being happy because yeah. I'm on my laptop thinking I'm on, my, I'm on Facebook or you know not understanding it's like you know I've got to work because if I don't work you know I don't get you know I don't get paid how am I going to pay my bills you know I'd love to be nice to be a housewife one day but right now <laughs> it's not happening so you know I have to work so it's it's that's the challenge I think when you're um, a female entrepreneur and I think men get get away with it like if you're mm. a male entrepreneur you're not gonna you're on your laptop and your wife comes home from what I say she's from America. I don't think she'd be maybe having a go at him. She might maybe be a bit more understanding. I don't know why. I think it's and then she's probably the one dealing with the kids anyway. Yeah, exactly. So she'll cut, yeah, exactly. And it's kind of it's a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. And as a presenter, I mean, I guess did you, did you ever think, oh, someone's seeing me on TV and they like me? They don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, only yeah. the less stable people seem to get in touch with you when you're on the telly. <laughs> so you like the people of the uh, more. Uh, sensible variety you don't really get in touch as much funnily enough because they're getting on with their lives but I think as a journalist I've moved a lot so I've moved in between London and Birmingham for the past 14 years mm-hmm. so I've decided to move to London now so I can be in one city and just yeah. kind of make that choice but I think yeah so a lot of journalists will take a job in Yorkshire if they want to get experience or wherever and actually a lot of journalists when they're younger tend to be single because of just the way the job works so and I guess what I, probably a bit like you you know I've worked really long hours I used to do early mornings used to be at work for 4 30 in the morning or 4 45 a.m you know that's like a big impact on your life from the day before and when you're doing that all week and actually it would take a really considerate person to really understand those choices and the sacrifices I've made for work there's lots of times I've missed loads of family stuff working or having to do this or do that or be there for work or do some reporting and actually it's not conducive, I don't think, to really settling down. So, and also, I don't know if I want to settle down. I want to meet someone and have an adventure. I don't mm. want to meet someone and settle yeah. down. I want to meet someone who wants to go and do amazing things. You know, when I was younger and still now, part of me, you know, I want to change the world. I want to I want to do something revolutionary. And I, I guess I want to meet someone who wants have to start a revolution mindsets. too. Yeah, mm. I, I, but someone who is thinking I'm going to be home every night cooking dinner 
Not because I can't cook, can cook, but it's just because sometimes I've got the things we'll have I to, want to do. We'll have to believe you there that you can cook. <laughs> <laughs> we, we haven't got any food here to, to, to really know, that. to test, to test <laughs> that theory. So yeah. Nice a week. That is, that's not my calling. And my mum wasn't that kind of mum either. Um, when we were very little, but as we got older, she wasn't that kind of mum. And her and my dad, you know, they're still married. He's fine, still alive. He hasn't died of starvation. You know, it it's fine. <laughs> that man like I just feel like you know in previous relationships like some guys just expect you to just be a slave and it's like <laughs> for God's sake like cook your own food like no yeah. you know where the kitchen is yeah it's like yeah I may have been at home all day on Saturday but I don't feel like it because I've been working all week so buy a takeaway it's interesting <laughs> I just understand like why is it like I have to be as a woman I have to be but in the kitchen you also think it's what you've seen growing up so me yes. growing up I saw yeah. my mum and dad a real team yeah. like yeah. a real team effort and my dad has done some amazing things um, like ruined but like my dad's done all sorts of stuff and but he couldn't have done any of it without my mom. and my mom has also done some amazing things like my mom, she just turned 60 something and she just got another degree and just started a new career as a chaplain like oh, you know mm, and it's like mommy. her third like postgraduate degree now yeah. she could have done any of that without my dad's support mm. and and I guess maybe I've been a bit spoiled by that by seeing the real that real team effort mm. that you're right I'm not signing up to be a slave I'm not signing up to be a mum I'm exactly. signing up to for us to be in a partnership, partnership for us to be in a team and anything else I'm kind of not really interested because it's too much of a sacrifice yeah. and then you'd, I'd be having to give away pieces of me that I need to do this other thing mm. that I really feel passionate about and I want to do that too I agree. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said partnership. And mm. I think that's what I'm looking for. It's like a partner in all levels. It's just like you're saying, like, you know, if if I can't cook, okay, why don't you cook, but I clean? Or maybe we kind of exactly. split 50-50. Do it it's together. Just, yeah, like do it together. And I think as a strong black woman, once someone says, I don't know if I could manage you. I was like, I'm not looking for someone to manage, to manage me. me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not looking for a manager. That's not what, that's what I'm looking for here. And yeah. actually, maybe it is just about the alchemy yeah. of meeting the right person. And the truth is, you don't have to find one. Yeah. So, Maybe it's about it's the alchemy of meeting yeah. someone who actually gets, can, can yeah, gets get you, you, can handle and you. And I, I always knew, I remember when I was like 17, 18, I remember going out with this guy who was quite a lot older than me. And um, I remember going out with him one time and I was dancing and we were at a club and I was dancing and um, on this stage. And then he opened to pull me down. I said, get down now, Nico. I says, but why? What's wrong? He said, people are going to think I can't control my woman. Oh, and um, I remember thinking God, then, yeah, like you can't control me. Yeah, they're right. They're, they're, they're right. <laughs> kind of thing and stuff. And from then I always knew that, yeah, no, I can't um, have a man that kind of thinks that he can dictate what the kind of things, do. what I do yeah. or who I am or how I should be. That's the and thing. And, and I think I'm also slightly scarred with trust just from seeing all the different things that you see in relationships um, you know with people with Instagram and, de- and whatever it is I think sometimes actually I'm like a bit like I really it would really need to be the right person yeah. because I don't have the time to be wondering about what people are doing genuinely like I've mm. never looked at any of my boyfriend's phones or anything like that because one, the minute that I feel the need to do that, we're probably on the way mm. out anyway mm. but um, I just think with social media and different things I just think there's so much out there I want to be with someone when they're ready and when I'm ready. And to be honest, I guess I haven't been willing to give up my life in terms of doing whatever I want to do, like whatever job I want to do, wherever I want to do it. And I guess that's, if I'm honest, that's part of my reason of being single. Mm. But when I'm ready, I want to meet someone else who's ready too. And that I don't have to be worrying all the time or anything like that. Yeah. I agree. You know, over here and in America, you know, you hear a lot of people talking about, you know, lots of black women being single and, you know, either, either not having kids or being single and having, or single with kids, but not having the relationship, not having kind of that family. Does that ever worry you about not kind of like finding the right person, being mm. single forever? It did, because I like recently got out of a long-term relationship where we almost got engaged, we almost got mm. married, and then it didn't work out. And I thought, okay, by 30, I was like, yes, mm-hmm. I'm going to get married, I'm going to have kids. Like, that's my, you know, my plan is, you know, is going according to plan, and then it doesn't. And I do worry about that. And then you do have that, you know, moment when... I did doubt myself and think, am I doing the right thing? I'm, mm. you know, because I'm, you know, I'm pursuing my career and I'm, I'm strong and I'm independent. And in my previous relationship, I was kind of chastised for being independent, having my own money, mm. and saying, actually, if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna mess up, I can actually leave, and I've got the finances to do that. And then you think, okay, 
being you know strong or strong or independent is that going to then make me miss out on that and it's mm. it's, it's such a tough thing and I kind of realise actually that it's just a risk that you have to take mm. some women are happy to dim themselves down to hide who they are yeah, so that they can have, get married and have kids yeah, but no. I but then they're unhappy and I just couldn't be unhappy you can't really fight it um, and I do have to accept that because of what I do and because of who I am there is a higher risk than my my mum of me actually being single um, for a very long time I may yeah. not have kids that's something that I have to kind of make a, make a decision and I, I'm very comfortable with that um, but I know that there are other options like freezing your eggs. Yeah, a lot of um, women are doing that yeah, now. Yeah, a lot of my friends have done that. Okay. Um, a lot of my, some of my friends have done artificial insemination as well. Oh, wow. Um, and it's becoming quite common. So if you mm. do want to have kids, I know that, of, you know, I could, but it's a very, it's a very serious and tough choice. I think black women, especially, because mm. we are, you know, at a higher proportion of being single now than, you know, any other race. And we have to make a choice. Mm. And I just made the choice of actually I'd rather sort of be who I am. Mm. Yeah, and then our parents' generation, you know, they're the generation where the majority of them had kids in their kind of, you know, you know, like twenties and things. Like my dad, I remember I wasn't even thirty at the time, and I remember um, my dad has a pub, and I remember going to the pub to see him, and some um, one of his friends coming in and said, "Oh, you're Denver's daughter, the one that lives in London. We don't, I don't, I don't, we don't sit to see you up here." And I was like, "Yeah, no." And he's like, "Oh, but you don't have any kids, do you? Like your sister?" And I was like, "No." And he's like, "Do you want kids?" And um, before I could even answer, my dad came out of no. I said, "No, she's too old for kids now." And I was like, "Oh, oh no. I was like, like, right, well. like, yeah." I was like, "I'm not even thirty, and I'm, uh, I'm too old for kids." Went to a family <laughs> do the other day, and my auntie was over from Jamaica. Hey, hey, any wedding bells yet? I said, "When there's wedding bells, you'll hear them." You know, <laughs> exactly. it's kind of yeah. like I'm not doing this somehow on purpose to annoy everybody. You know, it's just yeah. something that hasn't happened. Yeah. And like you say, when you make that career choice, you mm. kind of make that choice knowing. I mean, I have really strong faith and. I just really believe, you know, whatever is willed for your life is is like willed for your life. And so now I'm over 30, mid 30s. And so I guess I've come to a place where I'm like, if I get married and have kids, great. If I don't, I don't. I've always wanted to foster or adopt and I would probably still go down that route if I thought, okay, I'm not going to have my own children. But uh, it's just somehow in society, it's like getting married is like this plan A. Mm. And being single is like plan B. Even though you're born alone, you die alone. Like, you know, and I know the the point of life is companionship and relationship, but there's so many other strong relationships that you can have in your life that are fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm saying that because I haven't fell in love and met the one. (laughs) I mean, if I did, I would be like, well, that's just absolute nonsense. But at the moment where I'm at, I just think, I just want to be content wherever I find myself. I don't want to be single and just wishing my life away because I'm not married and feeling like looking at what everyone else has. You don't know what yeah. they have. That's you know the what thing. you see. Yeah. You know, see you don't what they have. What exactly. They have. You're so and, right. You know, every single person that has got a kids moans constantly about having children. <laughs> you're making my ovaries <laughs> die with the amount of moaning about kids. Oh, here they come again. I said, so, you know, you're not even a good advert if you want to have children true. in reality. But, but yeah. You're so right because I, I, I'm really into my faith as well. So I hope you don't mind me sharing. But mm. I love um, Bishop T.D. Jake said something. He gave a really good sermon about being single. I listened to that yesterday. <laughs> Okay. Nice. And he says, people who are single, some of them, they just wait. Mm. You're just waiting. And you're not necessarily, I can't remember how he phrased like it. You're not living. You're, you're not just living. living. You're just waiting for someone for, to walk yeah. past. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's not going to work like that. Exactly. I think, I think you, need to get on with, you need to just get on get with on life. With Enjoy your life. life. Be happy with yourself. Exactly. And then the right, and then the right person will come. Exactly. Also, if you're doing yeah. things you enjoy, you're more likely to meet someone, someone. who is like-minded. Exactly. Yeah. And I think sometimes, even within our own community, it's like, oh, this is not a black thing to do. Or this is not a, do what you want to do. And you will meet, you know, if you like wine tasting, Go Ooh, wine yeah. tasting. It is mm. a black thing to wine taste. Exactly. Black people do it. I'm black. I go wine tasting. Yeah. So it is a black thing. But I always yeah. say to friends as well that, you know, put yourself out of your comfort zone as well. Because yeah. sometimes you do the same things, you get the same results. So if you're just going to that Show same, me. if you like to rave and you're just going to that same, yeah, same, no same rave, you're just going <laughs> to see the same people. You're just going to see the same people. So I'm not saying don't go raving, <laughs> but maybe, maybe try some different a type different of music. Dance. Yeah, a different different dance. Dance. A different place. And I do <laughs> think in churches, it's really interesting because yeah. it's, it's more women than men in churches exactly. so if you go to a church where there's all women and you want to find a husband I can tell you you're not in the right church. Yes. Find a new church. <laughs> and even though 
that your pastor will say you can't church hop. Okay, listen, uh, I, I need to find a man to that because when you're going home to your wife at night, you're warm at <laughs> exactly. night. Exactly. People out there all cold. You're telling them just to stay where they are. No, oh, you know, oh, broaden no. your horizons and try something new, yeah. try something different. Exactly. There's always people in a couple who want to tell you, oh, no, don't worry about it. It's fine. Going home to their boyfriend. Exactly. And you're okay, home alone. So that's the thing. Every day, I don't think, oh, but sometimes you do like you Valentine's Day, Christmas, the usual mm. suspects, and you like it would be exactly. nice to be with someone. Yeah. But the rest yeah. of the time, I'm actually quite. I'm happy doing yeah, what I'm doing. Exactly. And so it's a beautiful thing that you're happy and, and love what you do and love the life that you mm-hmm. that you have now. So if you could go back and talk to your younger self, what advice would you give yourself as to um I guess, you know, I guess you know, what would you tell yourself mm-hmm. like looking back? I always say if I get asked this question, I just say first of all I'd say dump him. <laughs> so when I was younger, stupid boyfriends, dump him would be the first thing, um, and don't listen to your parents. Mm-hmm. Just those two things. Um, and I think you know, I would just say you know, really do what your heart desires. It sounds mm. really cheesy, but that's just you know, I, when I was young, you kind of want to do maybe what other pe- other people are doing and please your parents. Just do what your heart desires, and you know you are enough you are beautiful you are going to be okay um it's okay to make mistakes mm. um just learn the lessons from your mistakes um and just forgive yourself yeah. any mistakes just forgive yourself um and that's about it mm-hmm. what about you jenna i would probably say stick with it like keep going don't stop i'd probably tell myself there are going to be some dark days mm-hmm. they will come as well as the good days but when the dark days come cry out (laughs) the next day go back out there and and try again I would probably just say to myself don't be so hard on yourself all the time and actually celebrate the things that go well Mm. um, and magnify the things that are good and don't dwell so much on the negatives and I would just say to myself just constantly learn anything you learn is never wasted so just never stop learning and never stop seeking change and like seeking new adventures mm. I think the celebration is something definitely that we all need to do more with ourselves I think mm-hmm. especially with life you know successes and things you know sometimes we never take the t- time to think about kind of the things that we've achieved and mm. how you know proud how happy we should be with what we've done and to just give ourselves that little clap and be like hey you did good you did girl good. exactly you did, you did so good it's, you know there's so much already sh- shoving you down all the time mm. my niece she's eight and she's so confident oh my lord god bless her she's so confident but i said you have to go out there with high confidence Mm-hmm. because everything's going to come and like take that down a peg or two so yeah. let her carry on with her like little confident self she yeah. it shouldn't be mm. so it's, let her it's carry important. on it's yeah. it is important it is. It so is. I want to thank you guys for both coming on the show and I want to celebrate you. you so I want to give you guys a clap oh, for everything you. that you and have you. achieved <laughs> and you're doing and things so um, thank you for being here and continue to do the amazing and wonderful wonderful things that you're both doing oh, thank Thanks you for, for having us thank you and so Vanessa, how can people find out more, get involved, come to a Girls Talk event? Where should they go? What should they do? On social media, you can just, you know, follow us at Girls Talk London. Mm. Um, And me, um, you can follow me on social at Vanessa, S-A-N-Y-A-U-K-E. That's it. Thank you. And Janelle? So um, I'm mainly loving Instagram these days and I'm also loving Twitter. And on both, I'm at Janelle Aldred. Um, if you Google it, there's not many general Aldred, so you'll, I'll come up if you, even if you spell it wrong. <laughs> Amazing. And thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Keep the magic going. We've all heard those famous words, you're fired, spoken by Sir Alan Sugar on The Apprentice. Bianca Miller-Cole has heard them in person when she was a finalist on the show. Since appearing on the show, Bianca has launched her own tights range and she's recently released a book. Here she is talking about her journey. So I'm Bianca Miller-Cole. I'm director and founder of The B Group and Bianca Miller London. And I guess fundamentally, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I think my journey into entrepreneurship started from a very young age. I've always been really interested in business. Um, I think at the age of like four, I set up shop in my bedroom, was selling paintings to anyone that would buy them, usually family, but you know, I don't know how good they were either, but I was making some good profit. At about, I think 12 or 13, I'd started doing dance for my school and decided I could monetize that by 
going to local primary schools and teaching them dance. So I kind of started my own dance agency called Stance at the time. And then at the age of about 17, I wasn't allowed to go out legitimately. So I thought, how can I get out of the house? Um, so I started doing under 18s parties. I managed to do about three before my parents were like, can you stop? <laughs> can you actually concentrate on your education and stop trying to make money? So I think that kind of entrepreneurial spark has always been in me and I've always had a love of business. When I finished university, I've suddenly a business management degree. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I'd finished in a recession. I thought what was important was to get a job. So I got a job in the city. I was working there for two and a half years. And then I decided I had that kind of light bulb moment. So I started my first business in 2012, five years ago now, in personal branding. We, we started work with some amazing clients, American Express, EY, PwC, like the who's who of the corporate world and universities. And it was amazing. You know, the business took a long time to get going, but once it got going, we were just working with the best people I could ever imagine. The apprentice thing came along, you know, two and a half years into that journey when I'd always struggled to get tights to match my skin tone. I'd been quite frustrated by the fact that I couldn't get tights. I'd gone to the high street, I'd gone to various stores and yet yeah, still couldn't get tights in my, in my skin colour. Looked at friends, family, colleagues um, who were white, Asian, black, they couldn't get the right shade either. But at the time, you know, when I was back in the city, I didn't think I had the knowledge or wherewithal to create a retail brand, you know. That's huge, I was, I'm a shopper. Yeah, but to create a retail brand, that's, that's a whole different kind of kettle of fish. So I kind of put it to the back of my mind. And then in 2014, um, my husband came home and said, look, Bianca, there, there's application for The Apprentice. I think you should apply. I said, no, leave me alone. And eventually I, I kind of applied to kind of get you off my back, but also because I thought, you know, if I do win this, it will be amazing. It's 250,000 pounds and Lord Sugar is your business partner to create a hosiery brand that's for women of all skin tones. That would be huge. As a black woman under the spotlight, I was very conscious that I knew as soon as the show came out that people were calling their family like, there's a black girl on The Apprentice, let's watch it. And um, I did feel the pressure because, you know, fundamentally I, I can only be me, but I know that people were then like, okay, she's now representing the race <laughs> and the gender. So not only was I representing the race, I was also representing the gender. So that, that for me was difficult because, I, you know, you want to represent well people were critical. The, the majority of the comments I got were ridiculously positive and the support was amazing, but I still saw the negative comments. You know, I probably don't talk about it, I probably pretend it didn't happen, but I had so many messages that were like racist messages and people being really angry, but anything I do, I always go at it like I'm going to do the very best, I'm going to try and finish first. That's my, my whole thing, you know, I think my parents were very big on that. Getting to the final was ultimately my uh, highlight because it just meant that everything that I, I felt I was good at, everything I, I'd known, everything that I was on the show was just me being myself and that led me to the final. For me, just being there was amazing. After The Apprentice, I had to make a choice. Do I continue with my, my existing business in personal branding or do I start a second business in hosiery and go into a totally unknown area? Um, and I had a few months of thinking, do I need this stress? Do I need the pressure of another brand, another business to develop? But I really wanted to make it reality. I didn't want to be that person who thinks an idea is brilliant when it's someone else's money, but doesn't really want to put their money where their mouth is when it's their own money, their own idea. If I could give myself some uh, advice, if I'm looking back at the, the young version of me, younger version of me, I would have said, don't worry, so much. Um, I think it's so easy to get caught up in, in the various things you're expected to do in life. You know, obviously you should always try and do your best, but I think sometimes you get so worried, so anxious that you don't always think actually what will happen will happen and just make the most of every situation. Um, I would say network, network and network some more. Success is having an idea imagine to bring it to reality you know having that initial idea and bring it to fruition but doing it in a way that really benefits people you know I think you know with the B group with personal branding what I love about that is the fact that I get to work with people on you know a weekly or daily basis sometimes helping them to motivate themselves to do and be better and to think about how their brand really represents who they are and to build an authentic brand that really pushes them forward and creates that positivity. I love that. I love being able to help people. With Bianca Miller London, it's very much about creating a diverse 
product that works for real women. You know, we have eight shades up to a size 22. We're working on plus size ranges. You know, I really want it to be something for real women. And then finally, with the book coming out, Self Made, again, it was about the amount of people I'd met along my journey who said, Bianca, you've done amazingly. How? How did you do it? Tell me how. What do I do? How do I get my idea to reality? And I really wanted to create something that enabled people to really understand the journey of being self-made, how to start a business step by step. And so success means to me being able to help people get, not just help myself, but be able to help people. I think my, I guess success for me is legacy. It's, it's creating something that when all, it, when all is said and done, you know, people remember I did something that was more than just making money for myself. So this is the magic. Turn something challenging into something inspiring. Join every episode of the Black Magic podcast by subscribing on the Acast and iTunes podcast apps. We're also on Stitcher and Player FM. All the women featured in the series will be featured on the Colour Network website, where you can see videos and images of this year's Black Magic Awards. Do spread the word and share the magic. Thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by Unedited.